Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to Wasbiz Live from our Brangaroo studios. You've tuned in for the call, 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel, we do it in one hour. There is so much happening at the moment. Can't wait to talk to these two blokes about it. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool joins us. Scott, good to see you, sir. Joshy, g'day, uh, good to be with you. Yeah, good to see you. And Josh Barker from uh, Macro is with us as well. Josh, good to Thanks see you. Thanks for having me. Uh, so much happening at the moment. We've got oil prices, we've got bond yields, a whole lot coming up at the moment, this half hour. Uh, look, we've got to cover a bit of that through the, the stocks that we're um, covering this half hour. Incitec Pivot, Woodside Energy, Remelius, uh, Spectre, and then Linus Rare Earths as well. So uh, thought I'd kick off with uh, not a stock of the day, but of a sector of the day, the banking sector. Um, and um, as Aussie banks are expected to experience an average 10% decrease in their cash profit before significant items during the first half of or the September half compared to the previous year. That's according to Morgan Stanley. Now, the brokerage firm anticipates that the pre-provision profit of the three major banks reporting their second half results in November will decrease by an average 9%. Uh, It's attributed to a 2% reduction in revenue, 3% increase in expenses. Uh, Morgan Stanley's banking sector analyst, Richard Wilde, suggests while the potential for a soft economic landing in Australia and healthy balance sheets provides some protection against the downside risks, the industry uh, continues to face challenging conditions. Growth prospects are weak, profitability on the decline. So um, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, does that mean you avoid the banks altogether? Mate, I don't think it needs to without then asking about the price. We haven't seen or there isn't necessarily uh, a view from Morgan Stanley about therefore what price you pay for these banks because I think it's a really good opportunity to remember these are cyclical businesses. It's been so long since we had a proper economic cycle. The last fair income recession was the early 90s. Of course, COVID was bad, but super short and massively supported by government stimulus. And so if you think about going back to those early 90s when Westpac and ANZ got themselves in a bit of trouble, we need to remember these are cyclical banks. They are exposed to the broader economic cycle, the housing market in particular. Uh, so I don't think there should be any surprise that if we do end up in tougher circumstances, that profits growth will be hard to come by. They've, they've made their fortunes on the back of higher business and, and mortgage lending. There's probably no surprise that that is going to moderate, maybe even fall from time to time. So no, it doesn't mean you shouldn't buy the banks. What it means is you should really understand um, one of my favorite three-word phrases these days is underlying earnings power. That is not just from peak earnings, not just when the times have been good to great as in the last few years for the banks, but over the over the cycle, what are we likely to see? Are we paying a decent price for that? That's where I'd be focusing is not, are they worth buying? I don't think any of the big four are going to get into serious trouble. No guarantees, but I don't think it's likely. Mm. That said, if profits are meaningfully lower or profit growth is harder to come by, 
you don't want to be paying extraordinary prices for some of these banks. Okay, are they extraordinary prices at the moment? Because the the big banks are the darlings of retail investors. Usually, they're overweight them, and they think they're just going to keep going up and have fantastic dividend returns. Is it a time to really be realistic and reduce your exposure to the big banks? Should you be in them? Oh, yeah. Altogether, I, I, any of it. Yeah, so I own no big banks. Right. I own no big banks at all. You don't have to own the banks. That being said, uh, plenty of people have, have got spectacular capital gains from owning them for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and, and doing very nicely. So I wouldn't, you know, just because I don't own them doesn't mean other people shouldn't. I think your, your first question, Koshi, is the really, really important one is how is your exposure? Check your exposure to banks. Owning all four banks is not diversification. And so if you've got... In some cases, uh, there are some numbers I saw maybe eight months ago. Some people have upwards of two-thirds of their portfolio represented by the big four banks. Right. That is way too much risk. Not necessarily in terms of absolute failure. Again, I don't think any of them are going to fail. No guarantees, but I don't think it's going to happen. But if they were to stagnate or even fall uh, and potentially fall meaningfully or maybe just stagnate for a while, I think it's still true that three of the big four banks are actually still down on the share price of five years ago. I think that's true. I'd have to check that. I haven't. Yep, I haven't prepared those yep. numbers this today, but to the extent that's true, um, if you're, you know, you've probably made a lot of money with them. It's so tempting to say, "I made all this money; they're great businesses. I'm going to keep holding them." I get that thinking, but yeah, really, really consider your portfolio weighted mm. to any businesses, but in particular the banks. In particular, if you're way overweight them, I think it is time to maybe reassess. Josh, what's your view on the sector? Is, is Morgan Stanley putting up the red flag on on banks? Oh, I think they're just in for uh, another year of, of sort of stagnant uh, movements. So, you know, like, like Scott reiterated, they've done n- not a lot. All three of them have done not a lot. And I think they're in for another year of that. Um, there's a few risks, I guess, to their short-term earnings. So we've seen the net interest margins across the board increase. Uh, I think CBA is the best at the moment. Um, so that's at about 2.1. Um, but the the average for the big four banks is about 1.8. So... Uh, They haven't experienced such a big uptick in in net interest margins and the NIM um, as, I guess, the cash rate movements have been probably a bit too aggressive for them to, you know, really capitalise on that. Um, And we're starting to see a lot of mortgage stress um, news come through. I think it was a pretty large portion, depending on which uh, market you take, about a third of households that have a mortgage um, are in that mortgage stress category, which is paying about more than 30% of their income to their mortgage. So we haven't seen uh, like the delinquency rates really tick up just yet, very marginally. You know, it's very low in the US, you know, their average is like two and a half percent in sort of delinquency rates and it's at half a percent at the moment. Um, but definitely something to keep an eye on here in Australia. It's, yeah, three quarters of a percent. Um, So something to keep an eye on if if people are struggling to make back those repayments. Again, we sort of saw through COVID that the banks have solutions for those that uh, can help people, but probably benefit the bank in the long term. So um, I think that will probably occur again over the next year. Um, You know, they'll have a small hit to their revenues and and therefore their profits, but obviously, you know, increase. So are you in the banks at all at the moment? Um, we prefer CBA. However, we did do some some trimming on that when we were getting quite bearish on the market. Uh, it's pretty much mid range. It's at ninety. You know, sort of in this market, we're you know trying to buy these quality companies at year lows and, and sell them at highs. 
we're not in a breakout market as you know the last couple of weeks have really proven to yeah. us yet again so uh, yeah we'll just continue to take profits in these companies when they're at their yearly highs and you know potentially buy when they're at their yearly lows which there's a few of um, CBA hasn't gotten particularly cheap that's our preferred name based right. on um, just pretty much track record of, of capital uh, right. returns so yeah CBA would be so do your clients have big positions in um, the retail banks Look, we've worked pretty hard over the last couple of years to to, to make it less less of an impact and, and providing alternatives. Um, you know, being overweight commodities right. and uh, you know All energy right. names. So, I know, I know yeah. you can't generalise, mm. but an average investor mm. with a portfolio, if they wanted to be in the banks, mm. what should your weighting be? Um, Oh, I think anything over. I know everyone's different. Yeah, but just a rule. Of I think thumb. anything over twenty percent in those four companies is is getting to the to the extreme right. end. Right. Um, generally, we don't like to have more than ten percent in any one company. So there's a couple of couple of factors there, um, and we'd usually reserve the right for the ten percent allocations for these big banks, right. um, but more so when they're paying sort of that double digit yield, right. uh, which okay. is not at the moment. All right. Okay, uh, let's start to uh, good discussion. I thought it was good to bring that up because I know so many of you are uh, big into the retail banks. Morgan Stanley just flagging that at the moment. And I said, uh, the advice from both Scott and Josh is just just make sure your portfolio is aligned and not overweight, terribly overweight these banks because you're going to miss out on opportunities elsewhere. Um, let's get to the stocks that you want us to cover today. And Josh... Um, Ira wants a view on Incitec Pivot. Mm. Is this one of the companies that you should have 10% of your portfolio in? Um, uh, yeah. uh, manufacturer of explosives, fertilizers, uh, global company, um, um, really big overseas. Uh, affected by oil price mm. and the like. What do you think of Incident? Yeah, a lot happening with this company over the last couple of years yep. with the fertilizer and explosive side of their business. Um, Russia is obviously a big exporter of uh, fertilizers, about 20% of the global supply. So um, yeah, it's a bit like coal at the moment. It's not exactly, you know, sort of environmentally friendly. Um, but due to the conflict, the demand has, has been quite high. So it's quite elevated. Look, they're working on some, some more ESG stuff to sort of get the you know, healthier soil solutions. But um, yeah, at the moment we saw with the most recent report, it actually did have a tick down in its numbers. Uh, and that's caused a bit of the weakness. Um, prior to that sort of yearly chart, it, it did have a really good run up. So I think at this stage, it's a little bit early. This is one that reports uh, off season. So right. it'll be coming up in November. We haven't got too much sort of most recent data from the, like similar to other companies that reported in August. So I would like to see this one um, return to ticking up in, in revenues and earnings before I step into it. Um, so for this one, you know, just at the moment, I'd, I'd, I'd hold okay. off and, uh, and avoid, yeah, yep. avoid that one. Uh, Scott, what do you think of it today? Uh, this is a really difficult business because it tends to be very, very volatile. The the businesses in fertilizer and explosives don't sound like things that you would expect to be particularly volatile businesses, but they are. And so it's a really, really tough one. Um, to, to, to that point, earnings doubled uh, last year compared to the previous year, but had been much lower and then you know periods of, of losses in, in the last 10 years. So it's a really, really difficult one. I mentioned underlying earnings power, trying to really understand what that businesses likely to generate over time is, is a very difficult choice. On the face of it, eight times earnings, which you think sounds great, but as I said, 
He doubled earnings last year. That means it's 16 times-ish the previous year's earnings. And so trying to work out how much to pay for that one is a really difficult task. I have to say, this is one I'd probably want to be buying when the bad news was all in. Um, coming off the back of a, I think it's probably a record level of earnings, certainly the highest over the last 10 years. Uh, fair to assume the market may be uh, seeing some optimism there. Now, again, it's only eight times earnings, so the market's pretty realistic that it may not be as sustainable as perhaps we'd like to think. Uh, but I'd probably rather look at these ones when you have those couple of bad years, when the market's pessimistic, when you're paying a relatively inexpensive price for the underlying earnings power again, rather than paying an okay price of peak earnings. A little bit like some, you know, that's all about miners. You, know, you ought to pay a, a high PE on low earnings rather than low PE of high earnings, because uh, that tends to be the top of the cycle. So I equally would avoid this one for now. Um, it is really volatile. You're gonna have to have a strong stomach if you ever do buy these shares. If I own them now, I don't know I'd rush out and sell them necessarily, um, but I also don't expect that unless they're able to sustain this level of earnings, investors should assume that share price will uh, will always uh, be at or above this current level. Okay. All right. Speaking of having the stomach for something, let's talk oil at the moment. Uh, <laughs> yes. Scott, Andrew wants a view on uh, um, our oil giant, one of the biggest in the world, uh, Woodside Energy. Um uh, its share price been under pressure, not just today because of the fall in oil prices uh, last night, but the last week or two. Uh, Beach is down, Croon is down, Santos is down. Um, number one, where do you think the, the oil price is going to go? And uh, how do you reckon Woodside's going? You've set me up beautifully, Koshi, because you know my answer is going to be, I have no idea yep. nor does anybody else. It's all educated guesswork. Uh, it, 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 oil is really tough. Look, I don't love commodities in general, but Oil in particular is hard because we know it's largely driven by the OPEC cartel. And so you can't even really look at reasonable supply and demand and say, on the basis of this much supply, this much demand, this is what's likely to happen. Um, the supply story will probably uh, tick along, or sorry, the demand side, I should say, will tick along with economic circumstances. And a lot of the fall overnight is partly that concern of what's happening to the global economy. The question, of course, is then how do the, the, the OPEC cartel and others respond to that? If you simply restrain supply even more, you can potentially keep prices high. If you let the supply you know, be maintained at the current levels, then lowering demand will lower the price. So I have no idea. Um, what I do like to say with all commodities is the closer you are buying to the marginal cost of production, the lower your risk and the better your upside. You may have to wait for that. Now, I don't invest in this area generally, but if you're going to, that's how I'd be thinking about it. The only recent investment I made in resources was it was in Fortescue shares when the iron ore price, uh, back 18 months or so ago now, had hit a low or a lowish point. I thought, well, risk reward seems pretty favorable. So that's when I would be investing in Woodside in general. The other concerning or confusing part for, for investors right now is simply the, the outflow of the of the merger with BHP's oil mm. assets. Um, trying to get a, a really clear read on the operational execution of, of the newly larger company is a little bit harder than it has been in the past just because you don't have that, that string. They're a very, very good producer. They're generally pretty good operationally. So there's worse companies out there to buy if you look for oil exposure than Woodside. Uh, mate, I'm just going to make this one straight out. Don't know. Uh, yep. I have not owned an oil company. I'm not going to own one anytime soon. I would, though, wait for a lower oil price rather than a higher one before buying. Yep. Uh, Josh, uh, Scott's saying that it's, the market's basically rigged by OPEC, isn't mm. it? But, yeah. but OPEC's <laughs> been cutting supply. Uh, oil price has gone up a bit, mm. but it sounds as though the market's now saying, gee, 
um, uh, demand has dropped even further yeah. uh, and, and are cutting it back again. Yeah, some pretty big uh, movements that we've had over the last couple of weeks in, in, in the oil price and that yeah. sort of wreaking havoc on the rest of the market as well. Um, look, Woodside has been probably one of the best um, energy names on the market from a sort of dividend yield and um, capital growth and, and sort of volatility as well. So you're getting, you've gotten really good risk adjusted returns over the last 12 months from a company like Woodside. Um, and over the last 12 months, the average oil price has been around $77. Um, so, you know, I think uh, it's, it's posted a pretty exceptional yield, uh, around 10% in, in cash, um, and it's got the franking credit on top of yep. that. Um, you'd expect oil, you know, sort of around these levels somewhere over the next 12 months. So I think these guys are gonna make really strong earnings over the next 12 months. Um, so you're probably pretty likely to expect a 10 plus percent yield again from this company. Um, so you that's know, pretty good. Yeah, and look, it did, go, it did reject its highs of sort of around that 39 mark um, which was a bit I guess frustrating for maybe holders because the oil price was going up on days that the share market was going down and it was yep. getting sold off with it so we saw that a lot during COVID with sort of index fund selling potentially is what what weighed on Woodside it's a, it's a massive part of the index so um, potentially a lot of that index selling Woodside got caught up in it um, I think it's getting close to, to sort of being a, a really good accumulate level um, anywhere mm. sort of here and, and, and slightly lower would be a great buy to get that yield, you know, and hold it um, until it gets back up to that $39 mark, depending on your, your view on oil. Um, our view on oil is is positive from here. Um, huh. Very volatile, but sort of, you know, holding above that sort of 70 mark and, and, and trending towards the 100 more so. So you're saying accumulate at these levels? Yeah. Uh, is it your preferred one when you put it up against sort of Beach, Karoon, Santos? Yeah, it, it wasn't when it was trading at all-time highs because obviously, you know, you're trying to find the value in the market. But I think um, given the movement in oil last night and it obviously being off today, I think it's, uh, yeah, pretty much skyrocketed to the top of the list in terms of okay. a buy. All right. Okay, our, uh, our next stock um, is, um, let's go into, I think, the copper market, uh, Romelius Resources. Jackson wants a view, uh, Josh, on Romelius, copper cathode producer in the Mount Isa region. Mm. Yeah, look, we like the exposure to copper. Um, it's been one that we've sort of been waiting, waiting for it to play out. I, I was, I was going to say, it, the market has been waiting for copper. Mm. To skyrocket yeah. for months now, yeah, exactly. and it hasn't done anything. Yeah, well, I mean, we've got a couple of um, sort of rationales for our thesis as well. Even if you take more of like a five, five, ten year view, it is used a lot in sort of this energy transition. So yeah. we have to build the solar plants. We're going to have to build, uh, you know, the wind turbines, and even the even the cars uh, in the manufacturing. A lot of copper. I think more copper is used in an electric vehicle than a than a standard vehicle. So yeah. um, it's going to be something that's not going to go away. But it's obviously similar to oil. It's about the speculation because I think the most important thing to keep in mind with copper is it is a barometer for the broader health of the economy. Uh, this one's had a, a really good turnaround. It sort of struggled for the last couple of years, but it, it seems to be doing quite well, Just um, good chart, as you can see on the charts there. 
if we zoom out just on the five year, it's, it's still got room to go up to, to sort of reach a couple of year highs anyway. So yeah, it's looking quite constructive. Um, it's not a huge yielder, but at least it's sort of in that that yielding space of the market, yep. uh, like a 1.3% yield. But what that really um, sort of indicates is that it's uh, you know had um, you know sort of those earnings coming through and, and the profits in order to pay those out. So they've got a good track record with M&A as well. Uh, management strong, X Rios and St. Barbara. So um, yeah, I think this one's good. I'd be happy to accumulate this one if you if you buy at these the levels. Yeah. And in the, in the sector, is this one of the leading ones of the copper producers? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of the mid-tier, we'd say. Um, uh, so you've got this sort of top end of the market being your Sandfire and you know, yeah. Oz Minerals, which is you know, not really an option anymore. But then you've got your smaller end. Um, so I think there's there's a place in the mar- in, in your portfolio for, you know, sort of the basket. Maybe you have some large ones, you have some, some right. mid-cap ones and then some... So you like Sandfire as well? Uh, I don't mind Samfire. Uh, if it does get any sort of, you know, significantly cheaper, then maybe that's when we'd look at okay. Samfire. All right. Um, Scott, what do you think of um, another commodity stock? <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, you know what? My, my view on commodities is, is no different. I, I do worry a little bit, though, about the, the current level of, of pricing, uh, 20 and a half times earnings on what's a relatively yeah. elevated level of earnings, historically speaking. Now, 2020 and 2021 were much better years. Other than that, last year was the best year in 10. Now, we know production volumes are up, so it's it's you'd expect growth over time. So I don't want to draw too fine a line on that. But I would say, uh, you know, you have to be particularly bullish, I think, on volumes and or the price uh, to expect an outperformance from Remelius from here. Uh, so that's probably the biggest yeah, Commodities aside, um, at least right. we talked about uh, Woodside on eight-odd times earnings, Remelius on 20. Now, again, very different commodities, different market. I'm not, yeah. I'm not drawing the, the two together necessarily. But I think it's worth looking at those and saying at that sort of price, you know, how much risk am I taking? Now, I did say you don't want to pay a, a low P on, on a high level of earnings. At least this is not the sort of 2021, uh, 2020 and 2021 earnings level. So you mm. are getting a more reasonable level of earnings. Uh, I don't know that I'd have enough confidence, though, in the long term performance. If you're buying at that sort of level, you need to have market beating earnings for a decent period to come. And given the volatility of commodities, back to my usual refrain, yeah. uh, it's just too rich for my blood. Caution. Okay. All right. Uh, next talk, Anthony, let's go the other end of the capitalization scale uh, from reasonably <laughs> big companies to the smaller end. Anthony wants a view. Scott on Spectre, they manufacture uh, and sell solar powered um, and remotely connected hardware. Um, it is a small company, a really small cap at the moment. Yeah, you found something that I just like more than commodities, Koshi, and, and I don't mean to be uh, harsh on Spectre, but this is a $4 million market cap. Yeah. A company that kind of at that level doesn't really belong on the ASX, I don't think. It also has an unbroken record of losses. Uh, now, those losses are narrow, and we can say that about it. So that's a win. Uh, but the challenge for, for investors is just, you know, how long do you do you hope? Oh, sorry, not 10 years, uh, seven years. Um, how long do you hope for recovery? When do you expect things to improve? And most importantly, why do you expect them to improve? The big, big watch out for me for Spectre is in 2018, there were 49 million shares on issue. There are now 226 million shares on issue. So that's a four and a half uh, times increase in the share count clearly to fund growth. And look, if they can eventually find a way to crack it, then they're pretty doing pretty well. But if you'd owned these shares in 2018, you've had your interest diluted to less than a quarter of what it was originally. So whatever promise you saw in the company, it has to be four times the size for you to get the, the dollar value back that you would have otherwise achieved from Spectre. Um, there's just nothing 
to, to recommend this to my mind. Um, Charles Equity is only $1.7 million, by the way. So you're paying, you're paying effectively double, more than double book uh, for this business, for a company that hasn't yet turned a profit. If you're lucky, things will start improving over time. Uh, it's, it's just a very, I'll say brave, <laughs> call to make. Yeah. Uh, still only doing $7 million in revenue too, mate. So yeah. it's, just a, it's just a really, really tough one. EBITDA is continuing to, to get worse, has for the last four straight years. Again, in a growth business, you kind of expect that to some degree. It may not even be a bad thing if it can finally crack it for a win. Uh, but revenues have only really increased by about, oh, gee, 60% over about five years. Yeah. Um, now, that's not per annum. That's in total. So whatever nut it's trying to crack it hasn't yet cracked. Maybe there's something here. Uh, it doesn't seem like a particularly great okay. one to be going for, in my opinion. All right. And uh, despite sort of more than tripling or quadrupling in listed shares, its liquidity is terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to so go true. far, Josh. Uh, <laughs> is, is a company like this investable? Uh, well, very difficult because, you know, if you want to pick up a little over 30 grand, you're a top 20 shareholder. So I think you right. need to know the business really quite well, probably more than what is, you know, released to market and, and just there in the numbers. You want to sort of probably um, have, have an inside scoop with management or maybe their vision. It's in, in addition to, I guess, everything that, that Scott mentioned, um, whilst it's, you know, sort of um, revenues have, have only grown by about 50 odd, 6%, um, it's been very volatile as well. So it's very hard to predict the, the sort of outlook for this company. Um, you know, last year, uh, they had a decent year, um, about 30% of their revenue came from rentals so you know things like summertime festivals and, and that, that nature so uh, it is going to be a very volatile business and without that huge sort of growth in, in revenues and earnings that volatility just doesn't make doesn't make it worthwhile mm. um, to be involved in but okay. uh, yeah interesting interesting business and I think what they're doing is, is probably going to be you know used uh, mm. but whether it's viable as a business is another question okay all right. Uh, Fitstock, uh, Josh Carey wants a view on Linus Rare Earth, the, uh, the rare earth uh, miner here in Australia, um, has traditionally had it process the rare earths in Malaysia, but are now uh, building um, uh, a processing plant in uh, Kwinana and taking it away from Malaysia. Um, one of the few companies in the world outside of China that produces these rare earths and of course um, strategically it's become more important now um, as evidenced by the fact they've got a $120 million contract with the US Defence Department. These rare earths are used in making fighter jets and solar panels and all the high-end tech stuff. Um, what do you think of Linus? Yeah, I think the rare earths market at the moment is is pretty risky. Um, you know, you need to look at I guess the largest one we've got is, well, probably was the largest Zero Resources. Yeah. Um, they've they've really struggled to to sort of offsell their their rare earths because they've had you know the price is just not economically viable yeah. for them. So uh, they've gone because from... the rare earths aren't rare, are they? <laughs> They're just rare outside of the outside of China. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and um, very hard to predict what. China is going to do, yeah. uh, even even given what they said. So, you know, they mentioned that they're going to cut off their supply to the rest of the world, but um, you know, sort of, you're betting on a lot there. Um, I think this one been a downtrend for a little while. Um, I'd be happy to de-risk and, and just get out of this. I think there's a very small chance that you know it sort of follows the way of Syrah and and has that sort of 
significant drop lower. Um, and just for the, the risk to award, I, I don't think this one's uh, likely to break high. It's had, you know, pretty elevated levels, as you can see there. It's had its mm. euphoria, um, and we're just starting to see it settle back down to, to potentially, you know, where's viable for a company like this anyway. So I definitely have it as a sell, um, just with that risk of it following Sira's, Sira's yep. lead. Okay. Um, and just, yeah, avoid. Um, because Scott, the theme is pretty compelling, isn't it? That mm. uh, uh, the US strategically is lending companies like this money. They're doing contracts because they don't want them to go out of business because they don't want to be held hostage to China for, for these rare earths, which are significant in technology. And Mate, they, they really are. To, to your previous point too, although they used to have mineral sands until someone decided that rare earth seems sexier because <laughs> it was rare. Uh, so you get away with it that way. But yes, this, this is a mineral sands business. They, they are really important resources though. And I think, you know, at commercial quantities, there's, there's an availability question and a commercial quantity question. As I will say about other things, uh, remember, of course, that the more demand there is for these things, the more likelihood there is someone else is going to go and find them and, and provide competition. So yeah, whenever you see something that is in hot demand and prices go up as a result, all it does is incentivize somebody else. That being said, um, Syria is a great example of a business that despite what we see geopolitically as really important resources, the commercial quantities required and, and from cost-effective mining because China has been able to mine them so cheaply is really, really difficult. It's one I wouldn't short, mate, for the reasons you've absolutely highlighted. Uh, this is a this is a geopolitical plaything, you know, regardless of of how we want to think about it commercially, a little bit like oil, but, but in the other, other direction here, the US could simply decide to put a certain proportion of all of its purchases through non-Chinese suppliers, for example. Uh, lending them cheap money is another is another key one. Key customer contracts, uh, locked in prices can be part of this. So there is way too much going on to, to ever take the downside, take the short case on this one. That being said, I do agree. It's really expensive right now on historical earnings. Those historical earnings, by the way, are also very volatile. Um, they made good money in the last three years. They lost money the year before that. Again, the company is very, very different, but earnings halved between 2022 and 2023. So it's a very, very difficult thing to value. Um, 23 times earnings, and those earnings are unusually high, if not record highs. Uh, it's just too too rich for my blood. But be very careful. As I said, don't short this one uh, because it doesn't take much. A couple of pronouncements from the Australian government or probably <laughs> more likely the US government. Yeah. And all of a sudden you'd see this thing go to the moon. So uh, yeah. it's a speculator's dream. It may well be a short seller's nightmare. Okay. All right. So if you're in it, would you keep holding it or would you get out like Josh? Mate, it's it's hard, isn't it? I mean, if you if you're in it, you probably have a different view than I do to start with, right? So yeah. you probably you're probably very bullish on rare earths, or maybe you do want the exposure to that yeah. geopolitical upside. I would sell it. I think it's too expensive yeah. to keep. There are many better places for your money that have a better risk reward trade off. But um, again, if this share price was double in a year's time, it wouldn't surprise me either. It could also be halved. It's a really okay. difficult one to call. All right. Okay. Well, let's recap the uh, the first five stocks. Uh, stock of the day was the sector of the day following that Morgan Stanley report um, uh, forecasting a downturn in cash earnings of the major banks. Advice from, from Scott and Josh saying, look, everyone's different. People love their banks. They're sitting on big capital gains. So it's very individual process. Their, their advice would be just to check the alignment, uh, the size, the proportion of uh, your holding in banks because 
they're unlikely to do anything into the future. There could be better opportunities elsewhere. Uh, Instec Pivot, uh, a no from both Josh and Scott. Uh, Woodside, a no from Scott and accumulate from uh, Josh. Uh, Woodside becoming um, um, uh, Macro's preferred um, stock in this sector. Uh, Romelius, a no from Scott. Uh, a buy again from Josh. Spectra, a no from both. And Linus, a sell from both. Uh, here on the call, we've been following our own fantasy portfolios um, picked by the Investment Committee and the uh, October Committee meeting is now live on the platform, ausbiz.com. Let's check how the portfolio has been going. And um, in October, uh, that's a September portfolio. We'll update it. Uh, I'll tell you in um, uh, in October, took some profits on Karoon and also Paladin and brought in Camplify. Uh, and currently the uh, portfolio is up six and a quarter percent. Uh, this half hour, we're going to be taking a look at Northern Minerals, Commonwealth Bank, Leo Lithium, Austral Resources, and also Ordinate. Okay, just before uh, the break there, we looked at Linus, uh, which is one of the more established of the uh, mineral sands, rare earths producer in Australia. Daniel wants a view, Josh, on Northern Minerals, which looks like a junior member of that exact same sector. Exactly. So whilst Linus was a sell, I definitely prefer to have Linus over this one. Right. Uh, the same way that we'd sort of prefer to have a producer uh, in terms of the lithium um, stocks at the moment than an explorer. Uh, again, this one is, it, it's got some good things going for it. The partnership with iLuca um, for a funding package. However, the cash burn's pretty high. Um, so, you know, they've sort of uh, 22 mil net loss last year. Yeah. The main receipts that they received was an R&D um, tax offset. So um, yeah, they've got about 73 mil as a funding package from iLuca. Um, but yeah, draw, already drawn down about 20 mil of that. So they're burning through it quite quickly. Um, I guess the big question is whether the rare earths play becomes attractive by the time these guys get into production, yeah. um, a lot riskier than, than something uh, like our previous stock. So right. um, yeah, definitely a sell for this one. Um, but going back to the previous stock, if, if you do like rare earths, then stick with the larger names if yeah. you can. Yeah. Uh, Scott, do you differ in any way on Northern Minerals? No, uh, not really. It, it, 10 years of losses. Uh, the, by the way, the share count's up tenfold in a decade. Uh, it doesn't get much worse than that in terms of dilution. Uh, and uh, Joshua, they're, they're just burning through a heap of cash. There, there is, I mean... It, it, there's also it's also true. I've said before, for example, in the oil space that uh, you know the, the most the most structurally disadvantaged companies actually you know maybe ironically have the biggest upside because if you do find something, then of course you're off to the moon. So there is there is a you know for for the for the gambler um, maybe the the raw upside is better for Northern Minerals than it is for for Linus, for example. The downside though is extraordinarily larger, and so you've you've got that really 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 big range of outcomes. Everything from they simply run out of money, they can't get more funding, uh, things go really pear shaped. Or they finally make something that's commercially uh, successful and all of a sudden, a bit like Fortescue at a couple of cents way back in the day, um, these guys go to the moon. Again, if rare earths become a thing, a strategic buyout or something, again, it shouldn't be shouldn't be ruled out. None of those are, are justifications to invest with a capital I. If you're a speculator or a gambler, you want to have a, you know, 
10 bucks on the poke, you yeah. might as well have 10 bucks on this one because it's kind of the same odds uh, of, of success. Um, I, I wouldn't buy it. No, I couldn't recommend anyone else buys it either. But there is that just, you know, with any of these kind of air companies, given the raw potential, there is the upside, but you, you face a really significant chance of yeah. massive dilution and or just outright failure, unfortunately. Yep, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's go to the other extreme of the cap scale. And um, for our sector of the day, we looked at the banking sector in general. Pete Scott wants a view on the Commonwealth Bank specifically, uh, regarded as the you know, the best of the big four banks, you've got to pay a premium for it traditionally. Yeah. Um, how do you see Commonwealth Bank positioned at the moment? Pull back a bit, but still in the 90s. Yeah, down about 13%, gosh, from the highs, but, but still pretty good. I think this is the only one that actually has a positive return over five years or did last time I looked at the numbers. Uh, that being said, I, I think this is one we need to be a little bit careful of because when we say the best bank, what we really mean is the bank that's done better the largest mortgage book. Now, that's the that's the bet you're making over the last 10, 20 years. Being the best, the largest mortgage book has been the best place to be, um, almost by definition. But mm. certainly in the results that we've seen from Commonwealth Bank and others, that's given CBA that halo of being the best bank. Now, I think they're a very good bank. Don't get me wrong, but sometimes we confuse best with. Uh, able to best take advantage of the prevailing circumstances. And that's a really, really different thing. Sounds like the same, but it's really not. Because if we do see a circumstance, for example, there was an article, that was a Fin or the Australian, I can't remember this morning, yep. saying for the first time in 20 years, Commonwealth Bank had two consecutive months of falling loan book values. Now, again, if in the future, business banking is the place to be, then we will see the likes of NAB and Westpac rise and CBA potentially fall proportionally because they're more exposed to business lending. So it's kind of one of those things where we look back and say, it's been the best over X period of time. The question for investors is, is that representative or likely to be representative of what the future has to bring? I'm, I'm not a fan of, of taking that approach with the banks. I do think they are, and this will annoy some people, they're, they're relatively much of a muchness. Yes, Commonwealth Bank's got a bigger mortgage book you know, proportionally. Um, some of the others are business, bigger business banks, and you will absolutely see different performances based on what happens next. That being said, you're paying such a premium for CBA. If I was going to be buying a bank, it wouldn't be CBA, it'd be one of the others. I'd probably be looking at NAB or Westpac, uh, ANZ potentially, but they're just so much cheaper for relatively mm. similar exposure. Not the same, but relatively similar exposure. Uh, and so pro probabilistically, I think if I, if I was going to buy a basket of banks or the other ones that are cheaper in the first instance, I think you're probably going to do better over the next five years than owning CBA. Now, the PE might stay high because investors just love it. And as you said, it is a darling. And, and darling stocks are, are very seldom knocked completely off their pedestals. So maybe CBA always ends up with a higher PE. But frankly, lower PE generally also brings a higher yield with you. So you're normally going to get a better income distribution from those other banks while also taking less risk on price. So yeah, if I was going to buy a, a bank, it wouldn't actually be CBA. It'd be the fourth in my list. I'd buy the other ones first. Okay. So uh, a no for CBA. Um, Chuck, Chuck Macquarie in there is the, the fifth... Yeah, and with a bullet, mate, I'd, I'd absolutely no. buy Macquarie rather than those other those other four. Right. Uh, I love the I love the exposure it's got to other asset classes. Now it's probably riskier because it does do you know the, the old merchant banking, investment banking yeah. rather than pure retail banking. But I think it's a much better business, a much more diversified business. Done a pretty good job, by the way, of, of bustling into the mortgage market here in Australia. But it's got commodities trading, it's got overseas investment banks, the whole lot. Yeah. Okay, um, and Josh. Uh, Scott points out an interesting thing. We we think all banks are the same, yeah. uh, don't we? And and Commonwealth Bank has moved to be 
almost like a gigantic old credit union, yeah. has it? but all it does is, um, is lend money for home loans. Yeah. Now, yes, it has a bit of everything else, <laughs> but the home loan book just dominates the bank. Yeah, I, th- I think I'd be happy to sort of, again, Macquarie is, is always our, right. our preferred name, but uh, inside the, the official big four, um, I think CBA would, would rank uh, rank pretty highly. Um, the yield is, is okay. I mean, it's it's four and a half percent, but I think uh, this market has really highlighted that you do need to get some capital growth if you're only getting a four and a half percent yield, which is where I guess, you know, historically those other three big banks have, have yielded higher returns. Yep. So um, yeah, look, I think analyst expectations is that it's lower in terms of a fair value for the company. Um, that being said, analyst expectations have always been lower for this company and yet the market continues to, to move the company higher. You know, 50 billion in revenue over the past year, um, 140 billion in, in market cap. So uh, I think it's quite strong and, and I'd be happy to back the strong performance. They've been um, really, I guess, um, at the forefront of the big four in terms of technological advances and, yep. you know, purchasing, um, you know, great technology assets and integrating that with the rest of their business where, you know, the other three do that, but they're kind of doing Doing it as the second movers and, and CBA have been successful in that just like Macquarie have been successful into moving into other areas of the market that was good for that environment so I'd be happy to back the outperformers in, in Macquarie and CBA over the other three. Okay so at these levels you'd see CBA as a buy? Uh, I'd have it as a hold at these right. levels but okay. uh, if it does get any 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 cheaper um, okay. then, then it's an easy buy back to 110. All right okay uh, now Nathan has sent in um, a request for a view on Leo Lithium. Now, it's suspended at the moment, but I thought it's a really interesting topic uh, to look at uh, because, yes, it's a, a lithium producer, but the, it's a lithium project is in Mali, and the government over there, the Malian Junta uh, government, has uh, basically now wants a stake in the mine. And there's a bit of argy-bargy going on between the company uh, and the military government on how much uh, that stake should look like. Um, Josh, mm. th- this is a classic example of sovereign risk. Yeah, textbook, where, yeah. Uh, <laughs> isn't it? Which is why I thought we should look at it because even though it's suspended at the moment and mm. there's not much you can do about yeah. it, um, would you go anywhere near... Um, no, no, definitely not. Um, this is this this company and this story is probably what is making me so bearish on a lot of the other exploring lithium and rare earth names. Um, right. So yeah, it's all well and good. You know, it did incredible returns. Uh, one announcement and it's back down Look to where, you know, where it was. Uh, and then looking and then, good from uh, what forty four cents March April. Yeah to $1.24, now back to 50 just because of this. Yeah. So again, that's that's why I'm happy to miss out on, on some of these movements and, and happy to sit on the sidelines of some of these really speculative lithium and, and rare earth explorers uh, because stuff like this can happen. Um, yeah. You know, the sovereign risk is, is one thing, but, um, you know, they've also just struggled to get out those announcements. And, you know, there's, there's a pretty decent chance that this doesn't come back online. Um, you know, there's always a risk with, with any company, you yep. know, delisting, look at examples like ISX in the past. But yeah, I think it's 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 definitely concerning it and at what price does it trade when it reopens? Yeah. So uh, for my mind, I'd be looking to get out 
regardless of what occurs uh, in the company. Uh, as soon as it starts trading, um, I'd, I'd be looking to get out. It's gone into a halt once before, and this is the second time it went into a halt. Yep. Obviously, investors look to get out um, at that second one at a significantly discounted yeah. price, and um, I'd be on, I'd be happy to be in that boat. Of, because there are so. lots of companies listed on the market, and they come up here on the call yeah. all the time. Yeah. That have operations in Botswana or in West yeah. Africa and all yeah. around the place, which sound exotic. Yeah. But do you avoid that altogether, or is it? Depends on the country. There hasn't been too much sovereign risk over the last few years, actually. It's something yeah. that's sort of been, oh, you know, it's a textbook thing, um, and, and it hasn't really been playing out. But, you know, we're starting to see it, and, and it's popped up, and it's always a, always a prevalent thing. So, yeah, definitely in terms of miners and stuff like that, we're just, you know, bring it, bring it abroad and, and just doing yep. sort of Australian mines. I mean, Australia's got some of the best lithium in the world, so I don't think there's really any, any reason mm. to go outside of that. We've got Pilbara, which is in production. So, um, yeah, happy to sort of play on that end of the yep. market. Um, Scott, it's, uh, it's a risk that can vary no matter the country you're in. Uh, we shouldn't <laughs> yep. uh, fire too many, uh, um, I was going to say bullets, it's probably wrong, at, at, at Mali because the Queensland yeah. government put on a royalty tax on coal miners out of the blue here in Australia. So governments can do weird things no matter whether you're an African country or uh, or one in the West. Yeah, they can and they will, Koshi. I mean, look, a, a, a modest increase in coal royalty versus nationalising part of the mine are obviously very different things. By the way, you know, it's not unheard of for countries, particularly in South America, to nationalise entire businesses yep. and operations in the past. Uh, Cuba uh, through, you know, took over the Coca-Cola bottling plant there way back in the day. So, you know, it, it is worth thinking about, about sovereign risk. It's also worth thinking about uh, suspension of shares because um, there's one thing to say, hey, this is a risk, I might sell my shares. Another to say, this is a risk and I can't sell my shares because now the shares are now being suspended. And so you've got the combination there of not only the business risk, which is big enough, the business sovereign risk, but potentially whether or not you actually have the ability to get out of the situation if you're in it. And so I just a reminder to people, if you're playing at this end of the market, uh, it needs to be money that you really genuinely don't need for a long time because you may not be able to get it at all. Um, as, as Josh said, there's a chance it doesn't get relisted at all, depending on what happens with the asset and how this works. So no, just just be very careful that whenever you're investing in in any small business, but potentially what particularly ones with, with this sort of sovereign risk. I'm not a fan generally of explorers either. Uh, and, and just one of those things, I think we take you, you take um, the rule of law for granted until it's not there. And you're okay. right, they can, governments can change tax rates and royalty rates, and they do, and arguably shouldn't, or at least should do it more reasonably than maybe the Queensland government's done it. But if you think through the, the implications of each of those and the range of potential outcomes, you just have to realise that you're upping the risk meaningfully when you step outside what we would consider generally accepted democratic principles. And I, I don't, again, I'm not, that's not a slant at Mali at all. It's any country where those things are likely to or potentially can happen. You just need to realise that that means you want a much better potential return to take what's obviously a higher risk. There's business risk, there's commodity risk. Um, other lithium players, we're talking about the very different things. This time we're talking about the fact that the, the government wants part of the mine. So it, it is a really difficult one. Um, I, I agree with Josh. I'd be selling as soon as you get the opportunity to. Um, it, it, the, the biggest concern with this one, and I don't know the details, and the company hasn't said, the last suspension notice that was issued was done two days ago. Uh, and unfortunately, this time they say, following quote, following a failure to respond to ASX queries adequately, end quote. 
Right. So that's not a case of they don't know, but they haven't given, satisfied ASX with the responses. Now, it's possible that they can't respond because they don't know. I don't want to cast too strong an aspersion on this one. But again, just a reminder that with these sort of situations, um, you, you have to recognize these are often lotto ticket type type opportunities and you have to recognize there's a very decent chance that you'll get very disappointed not maybe this sort of situation exactly but this is in the range of things that can happen with these sort of businesses right okay all right our next stock uh, miriam wants a view on austral resources now did we cover this in the first half of copper um in the remelia section a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Josh, what do you think of Austral Resources? Well, this is this is another one, um, and it's chalk and cheese between the last company, but this one's actually in a trading hold at the moment, an extended yep. trading hold. Um, obviously, you can see that there on the chart. Uh, very different sort of scenario. Obviously, they don't have any sovereign risk. They're, they're in Mount Isa. Yep. So yep. they are also in production. <laughs> um, so they've got exploring parts of their business. They've got production parts of their business. But uh, basically, they're just sort Sort of restructuring um, some of the financial position, whether it's you know sort of maybe skewing on the uh, you know a, a sort of debt structure, uh, maybe with some equity raising that they're doing potentially, or maybe it's just purely a, a debt restructure. Uh, but it's taking them a little bit of time in order to finalise that, and this is one of the times where. There's nothing, uh, you know, substantially gone wrong with the company, um, but it's one where basically they've just looked to impose fair market rules. Um, there's there's information that they um, haven't completely finalised yet, but have started the, you know, maybe started. There's some information out there, but it's not finalised. So they're just uh, deciding to pause. It's looking like it'll trade on the 20th of October anyway, and they should have any, everything okay. finalised by that. So okay. yeah, so, chalk and cheese. And but, um, but you look at that, it's down sort of basically blow a tissue price. Yeah, listed like. listed at 20 cents, um, yeah. had a great run up to 80, um, and then sort of has drifted back down. So uh, we've seen that from a lot of the, the smaller end of the com- companies, yeah. you know, 29 Metals is, is another example. AIS, it, it's something that's just broadly been uh, prevalent in these smaller ones that are taking on higher costs whilst the price waits to go All up, right. I, I guess you could say. So a no from you on this? Uh, I, I actually don't mind sort of the, the copper plays and, and Ben okay. being involved in this one. So I think uh, we'll see how the announcements go out. But yeah, once it's trading on the market, you can uh, look to pick up some. Okay. Uh, Scott? I'm probably a little bit less confident uh, based on the outcomes of the fundraising. When they first put the uh, training halt through, they asked for a halt that was supposed to last for two days, and a month and a half later, here we are. Uh, Now, I don't know the details behind that. As Josh said, hopefully it'll it'll relist and hopefully a lot of information will come to light, and maybe this is just a hiccup. Uh, You do wonder what has to take five plus weeks in terms of, or six weeks, in terms of capital raising that couldn't be resolved in a much shorter time period. I probably want to know a bit more about that before I was prepared to put an order in for for relisting. And maybe I'm just being too cautious, but in that sort of circumstances, was it a a conversation about the the price or or, or the the amount of debt or the the conditions placed on the company? There's obviously something going on because if the debt could be, um, again, they expected it to be a two-day trading halt, something in that process went, went back badly wrong or at least uh, not didn't go to, to Austral's expectations. So I'd want to have a really good look and we will hopefully get a good chance to have a good look at it before it relists. Uh, I'm not sure I want to necessarily jump in with two okay. feet on this one until we know a little bit more about what's going on. All right, final stock. Uh, Phil wants a view on Ordinate. Scott, the, uh, the tech business in that audio video, they have their Dante protocol that is used by, uh, by a lot of companies around the world. And uh, 
Um, speaking for a so-called friend who has it in their self-managed super fund, it's done all right in the last couple of months. It's been an extraordinary rise, Koshi, for, for Ordinate. Uh, I will say it's a buy for us, so I'll start with the buy. It'll give, yep. a, give us, our viewers something to, to grab onto. This is, a, this is going really, really well. Uh, Ordinate's managed to double their sales in the last two years, which is remarkable, uh, and, and not even from a depressed level. It probably last two years ago, maybe it wasn't as high as it might have been had COVID not got in the way, but it didn't actually dip sales-wise over that period. In fact, it's grown uh, earned sales every year for the last five or six years according to the numbers I've got in front of me here. Um, it's just a, it, it's a really great piece of software, this Dante software. Now, it is yeah. a little bit, um, it's not exactly winner takes all, but it does rely on network effects, and it's not yet dominating the market. Um, it's, it's much bigger than its nearest competitor for this kind of analog to digital changeover of, of audio signals. It's also trying to move into video, but it's not yet convinced the entire market to step away from analog altogether. So that's the big challenge for Ordinate here. If it does really well, we're talking about a Dolby style, you know, Dolby surround sound kind of idea. Yeah. Uh, that's the, you know, everyone wants to use Dolby. Hopefully everyone will also want to use Dante at some point. If they do, uh, Ordinate's share price is well and truly justified because the upside is enormous. Whether it gets there, that's the, still the opening question. It can't do much more than it's doing. Doubling sales in two years, uh, profitable for the first time in, in four years. And now part of that's obviously you can choose how much money you want to spend on marketing and R&D. So <laughs> yep. when a business is, is, is managing itself for growth rather than for profit, you wouldn't expect necessarily to see those numbers. Speaking of which, it's remarkably expensive on any, on any traditional metric, uh, 105 times earnings. Now, how you can say a company 105 times earnings is a buy comes down to what you think the long-term profit generation is likely to be. I think there's a very good chance it continues to make every post a winner and it should be able to scale really, really nicely. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Ordinate. It is a higher risk investment, be really, really clear. Uh, frankly, at 100 times earnings, the share price could fall 75% and still be on 25 times earnings. Yeah. So you know, it's, it, you know, expect volatility in the share price, expect sentiment to drive this one. But while the business continues to perform so incredibly well as an organization, I think this is one worth buying. Yep. And, and Josh, once they... Uh, convince manufacturers to go from analog to digital. Mm. Um, Ordinate, um, the Dante uh, protocol is about the only thing you can use, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's something like 99% of the market. Yeah, exactly. So it's got that sort of it's got a mon- monopoly uh, yeah. foothold, if you will, and whether that plays out is yeah to be seen. But I think they're, they're really strong business. Uh, we like them over more of a long-term view. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get them as a reporting season play. So I think now it sort of brings it up to, you know, it seems a fair value according to the market. Right. Uh, they, they recently, I'd have it as a hold, uh, they recently did a, a pretty successful cap raise, $50 million at these elevated levels. So um, seems like the price is going to hold in there, obviously having moved on that fundamental news. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think even just the, in, in, in the financials, um, you know, they've sort of cleared everything up after COVID and, and their gross margins at the moment are around 72%. So wow. if they can maintain any sort of revenue mm. growth close to what they have done, maintain gross margins of 72%, as long as they financially manage the business quite well, um, you know, it seems like they'll they'll trade around these levels. I just have it as a hold for the time being because it does tend to just tr- trade sideways after, mm. um, I guess, these announcements and during the in-between phases. So yep. I think given it's had a, a really okay. big rally just recently, just hold it for the time and, being. And assess it just yep. prior to 
next earnings season. Maybe next earnings, yeah. All right. Okay, let's recap the uh, the final five stocks. Uh, Northern Minerals, a sell from both uh, Scott and Josh. Uh, CBA, a no from uh, from Scott. He prefers virtually any of the other uh, of the big four banks by comparison to Commonwealth Bank. Um, but if you throw a Macquarie Bank, that would be his favourite of the five. Uh, Josh has CBA as a whole, um, but um, they like Macquarie Bank as well. Uh, Leo Lithium, a sell from both. Uh, Austral Resources, buy from, from Josh, a no from Scott, and Ordinate, uh, buy from Scott, and a hold from Josh. Uh, Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, always great to have you aboard, sir. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Koshi. Josh Barger from Macro, good to see you, good mate. Here, Thank thanks. you. Uh, now, at our last virtual investor event, uh, we asked you here on Ausbiz what you were interested, uh, whether you were interested in adding alternatives to your portfolio. Uh, nearly 70% of you said yes. So, uh, your wish is our command. We're bringing together expert asset allocators to share how they build a portfolio in a space that's traditionally been out of reach for retail investors. We've also got managers from funds right across the spectrum of alternatives. So join me for Essential Alternatives. It's happening 18th of October from an 11 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. We've been inundated with registrations just in the last couple of days since we mentioned that we're going to be doing this. Uh, it is free to register. Uh, you can see the full agenda at osbiz.co slash essential. It is a big agenda. It's going to be a fascinating event. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully you can join us. And just a note that a lot of the strategies and products being discussed here are only suitable for wholesale and sophisticated investors. So if that's of interest, register now. Now, if you'd like any stocks for me to put to our expert panel, um, go to osbiz.co slash callpicks or tweet us using the at osbiztv handle. And if you've got any comments you'd like to make about particular stocks or particular questions or particular panelists that we'd like to put your stock to, add those in the comment section as well. We love that. And that's it for the call for tomorrow. See you same time tomorrow. Stick around. The Pulse is next right here on Ausbiz.